This week in Dokkan Gamer, Grand Theft Auto 4, Prince of Persia, and my thoughts on online gaming. Life is complicated. I killed people, smuggled people, sold people. Perhaps here, things will be different. Welcome everyone to episode 11 of Dokkan Gamer. Um, I'll be doing this podcast solo once again but it doesn't really matter because i've met some friends um some old friends from high school and everything and i think you know uh, our guest list has sort of you know grown i hopefully the potential guest list i mean and hopefully you know in the coming weeks i can drag some of them in and we can talk about a few games we've been playing and surprisingly enough a lot of them still do play a lot of video games so i'm pretty happy about that um so this week you know we'll be doing just a pretty regular episode, which I haven't done in quite a while, so let's do a, a little recap about that. So, really, the podcast is basically about, you know, um, it's, I don't know, a conversational starter, um, it's really for gamers who, you know, um, cannot afford games all that regularly, um, for people in the Philippines, at least people like me. Um, it really does take a lot of uh, a lot of our time and effort to actually be able to afford these games. We work a few days um, and save up for these games. Unlike perhaps if you're in the United States, just work a few hours and you can probably afford a game so much. Um, you can probably afford a game right there and then. But back here, work a few days, save up all of that money, and that's only when you can buy a certain game and. You know, we're not even talking about the premium collector's editions and everything. Just a regular um, $60 game for $50 game. So, um, that is basically why we talk about games wherein we review games, quote-unquote, that we haven't even actually played. Because um, we really want to answer that quintessential question for people who can't really afford games all that much. It is whether or not we should buy this game or not. I mean, given all the reviews that have come out, um, given all the feedback that has come out about a certain game, we try to answer the question of whether or not we should buy the game or not. Um, of course, the people who review games, um, they're the ones who can actually afford the games, they're the ones who have access to early copies of the game, demos of the game, and all of that. And while we do appreciate their efforts and really... Um, you know, basically giving us advice on, or their impressions on a certain game, try to guide us to actually buying the game. Um, what the podcast does, at least in the first segment, which is highest score, we do try to answer that question. Having not played this game at all, no demos, no nothing, especially for those games without demos, we try to answer the question of whether or not this game is worth it, and um, whether or not we should buy it, right? Um... 
Well, in my case, of course, it is a case-to-case basis of whether or not you buy games purely to have fun or if you're a, a video game enthusiast like myself. That you mostly... Um, I do try to answer that question anyway. If you enjoy this, these kinds of games, then you should go buy it. But if you're like me, who really goes for a lot of variation in this gaming, who really likes innovation in this gaming, that, you know, I, I'm not much of a fan of... You know, buying sequels, wherein the sequels are pretty much remakes. Well, not remakes, pretty much clones of the previous games and basically redone and um, scaled up and reimagined in certain ways. But it's pretty much the same solid game. Um, to me, you know, uh, that's not much of a. What do you call it? Um, it's not much of a. You know, it's not enough to convince me to buy that certain sequel or another game of, you know, which is just the same game as another game, right? Um, you know, sorry, forgive me. It's just 10 o'clock in the morning and I only woke up, but I really wanted to do the podcast right away, lest I forget to do it today. Um, but yeah, basically, I'm not really much of a fan of games that don't do anything new. And enough said, right? In a nutshell, that's that's really what I was trying to say. Um, but you know, um, of course, if say for example you like um, third-person shooters, much like Gears of War, or what, and that is really your genre of choice, then I would never stop you from buying Gears of War two, say, even if you own Gears of War one. But for me, you know, there is not much incentive there. That's a that's a game. Uh, that's <laughs> That's a word I was looking for earlier. There's not much incentive to buy a game that is very similar to a game that has already come out, or that you already own. And that brings me to the topic of this week's highest score, which is Grand Theft Auto 4. So we do know that um, this game is pretty old. I mean, I think it's more than six months old already, but I'm only, you know, pretty much talking about it this week because um, I actually wanted to buy it over Prince of Persia two weeks ago. Um, but what led me to buying Prince of Persia instead? Well, because, simply because it wasn't in stock. Um, according to the, you know, the local store I go to, um, Grand Theft was pretty much, very much in demand for the holiday seasons, and they haven't restocked on it yet. The only available version they had of GTA 4 was Region 2. And the sales clerk, for some reason, told me that if you have Region 2 games, you can't play the game on SD, and you can only play it with HD TVs. And since I have only an SD TV, I opted not to, because, you know, the impression it gave me was basically, if I tried to play on my SD um, TV, the images of the game wouldn't even, wouldn't even come out. So, you know, um, uh, rather than risk that, although I've never heard of anything like that, for as long as you have a TV, I'm pretty sure the, the game will actually come out. But, you know, I'm not much of a technical guy when it comes to consoles and everything. I don't bother myself with all these details. But, you know, um, I bought Prince of Persia instead because at least that was a game I really wanted to buy anyway. And supposedly it worked on SD TV, so I go, went ahead and took the plunge and bought it. I'll be talking about that game later on, but right now we want to talk about GTA 4. So again, what answer? What question do we try to answer in highest score? Basically, 
after all the reviews have been given and after everybody's talked about the game, after all these awards have been given to this particular game, whether or not I should buy it or people like me should buy it or whether or not you should buy the game, um, that is a completely different question. So yeah, uh, we have... GTA has been out for a long time, as we said earlier, but... And, you know, it's gotten a lot of praise. Um, but... You know, a, a lot of websites have given it Game of the Year, or at least game trailers, I'm pretty sure, gave it Game of the Year. Um, and that would definitely merit a lot of weight when it comes to judging the game. And quite honestly, uh, it, you know, the game um, pretty much got my attention again because of all the awards it has been getting, or at least all the nominations it's been getting. And... You know, while GTA 4, when it came out, it seemed lackluster to me. Um, there wasn't much buzz around it, save for a former office mate that kept wanting to buy it and everything, but waited for the PC. And unluckily for him, the PC version is crap, pretty much. Um, you know, uh, it's pretty much unplayable on the PC, on, on its highest settings. And, you know, unfortunately for all those PC owners that have been waiting for it, you know, it's not... A very good purchase, but you know, for all you console players out there, PC, PS3, and Xbox 360 owners, then I think you know, um, GTA 4 is a very, very good candidate for games that you should have bought back in 2008. A little history first on GTA 4 and how you know the GTA series has been to me. Um, I first heard, or at least the the, the series caught my attention. Um, first when GTA 2 came out, um, it was very, very different from the GTA we know now. It wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, done in the third-person point of view yet. I don't think it was as sandboxy as it is now, but it really was just about, you know, roaming around the streets, a top, top view, um, bird's-eye view, and just stealing cars, pretty much. I mean, at least that's what I got from it. It was one of those games that was very controversial at the time. Um, you know, because that was, what, I don't know, 10 years ago, even more. Uh, more, I, I'm sure, like 12 years ago, perhaps. Um, you know, it taught, supposedly it taught players to be vigilantes, be criminals, or whatever. So, you know, um, it was met with a lot of um, criticism and a lot of, you know, uh, closed minds at the time. But it was met with a lot of praise by magazines for doing something new, for doing something fresh and pertinent, doing something, I guess, realistic, and, um, you know, just pretty much ballsy at the time. And once GTA 3 came out, that's when, you know, um, the snowball really just rolled down the hill and became this huge, huge, massive destructive force. Because, really, um, I remember the first time I encountered the game, uh, we went to Baguio, one of these um, vacation spots here in the Philippines. Very, very cold, unlike the normal weather here in the Philippines, because it's high up the mountains and everything. Um, uh, our, the, the, the class, the high school class, pretty much decided to take a little vacation. We went to this cabin up there, up north, and one of our friends basically got, you know, brought along his PS2. And games such as Final Fantasy X was there, GTA 3 and everything. But, you know, um, the geeks of the group, well, me included, of course, while everybody was, you know, eating steak and everything and talking about stuff, uh, we, we played video games. And of all the games that was there in the PS2, GTA 3 was the only one 
haven't played yet, and I've heard quite a lot about. So when we played that game, you know, we just couldn't stop playing the game. I mean, I was just roaming around the streets, stealing cars, and shooting everything on site. Um, we did go through the story uh, quite a lot, and we pretty much hit this bump in the sniper um, scene, the sniper scenario. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that, but there was this one scene in the game wherein you had the snipe people, I think, coming out or on this cargo ship. And, you know, the controls at the time of GTA wasn't very good, and that was torturous, say the least. But in terms of the overall experience, it was very, very fun. I mean, what other game would allow you to just pretty much shoot everybody and, you know, the police coming around, and then if you shoot all the police, the FBI would come along, and if you shoot all the FBI and everything, the army would come along, and you could probably steal yourself, if you're good enough, a tank and just shoot everybody. Um, you know, it was very, very fresh at the time. And to be honest, it is still quite a very, very fresh mechanic. I mean, unlike, say, games like FPS's, um, Doom, at the time, you know, was and is still pretty much an FPS. It, you know, it hasn't really evolved all that much. The core mechanic still is the same. But all these other games have copied it. So you have Call of Duty, you have Halo, you have Bioshock, you have Half-Life, which are pretty much FPSs. And a lot of people have, you know, um, copied um, the original Doom or the original Wolfenstein, whichever you prefer to, you know, be the benchmark of FPSs or be the granddaddy of all FPSs at, during the day. Um, but, you know, Grand Theft Auto is pretty much alone um, in the sandbox um, genre. I mean, you know, you have games like Saints Row, of course, and Bully, which, well, Rockstar also did. But, you know, not a lot of people could copy the success of GTA as it is owned by Rockstar. I mean, Doom and Wolfenstein have been copied to no end, and arguably there are games that are far superior to Doom, um, uh, such as Bioshock and Half-Life, right? And Halo, or other people would argue, maybe even Gears of War, if you want to extend that to third-person shooters. But in terms of what Grand Theft Auto 3 did, not a lot of people have tried to copy it, really. And it still is very much um, owned by Rockstar, the whole you know, sandbox feel of going, roaming around the city and just doing what they do. Um, you know, not uh, not a lot of other games can give you the same feeling that GTA 4 does, um, and it does it quite well. And, you know, after GTA 3 came out back then, it was one of the games, really, that I was looking forward to. I, I always... It was always under the radar, but, you know, I never really got the chance, or, you know, nothing really convinced me to buy the game, even San Andreas and everything. But um, GTA 4, um, you know, this is a departure from, well, since it is the next number GTA, it was, you know, enough of a departure from 3 that would merit my attention as a real purchase for the game. Because, you know, San Andreas and everything, while an improvement on the original GTA 3, I think didn't do, you know, anything significantly different from it. But GTA 4 seems to be a very, very high production version of G GTA 3. You know, meaning the stories there, meaning some of the control mechanics have been fixed, 
and it really is a more mature version of GTA 3. While, G you know, the point of GTA 3 really was for it to be sort of a Saints Row game that people could just really mess around with the city without any real consequence, GTA 4 seems to be more of a game that has accountability in it. Um, that, you know, it really is more realistic in that way that, in that, um, anything you do, or at least that's the impression I've been getting from reviews and impressions, um, the things you do really do affect the things that happen in the story itself. And for the first time, there is actually character in the, the protagonist you play, which is, I forget his name now, actually, um, but, you know, this crazy, um, Italian? Italian, right? Um, dude, really does have a lot of character, really does a lot, have a lot of heart, and you really do sympathize and empathize with the character, which is, for me, a significant departure, really, from the faceless people in GTA 3. Um, you know, you, you're just some schmuck without a name, really, and it doesn't really matter, but um, the guy from GTA 4, uh, man, I forgot the name. I, for some reason, I remember Meepo. <laughs> and, but that that's from another game altogether. All but, you know, um, GD for um, the production values of it. I mean, graphically, I think it's not one of the hottest games out there, but the style of GTA, GTA really is um, in its pinnacle, in its, in its top form in GTA 4. Um, it is a massive improvement over the third um, installment of the game. But, you know, um, to me, graphically, it's not all that impressive. But if you are a GTA fan, then you will uh, appreciate just how much better it looks. Um, and w w even though it is much better, but it still has that same feel of GTA 3. And that's what I appreciate about it graphically. And of course, it is a massive, massive game. Um, it's a whole city and everything. And, you know, for me, that is enough reason for it to be, you know, not as graphically impressive as, say, Gears of War 2 or, say, Killzone or what. But, you know, um, graphically, still very, very good. So story-wise, graphically, I'm pretty sure the controls are pretty good. Gameplay-wise, I mean, what else can be said? It is the sandbox game, like uh, we mentioned earlier. And if you like that, those kinds of games, then all together... Um, I mean, you know, if you're a GTA fan, then good, go and pick it up already. And if you're like me, I don't own any of the GTAs at all. And, you know, I really have to have this game in my library simply because it is very unique in what it tries to do. And it is, you know, pretty much the, um, the granddaddy of all these sandbox games that came out. And if I had to own one of these games, I wouldn't pick Saints Row 2, of course. I would go for GTA 4, most definitely. So, you know... That's basically it. I mean, for me, it's one of those no-brainer purchases, even though I'm not much of a fan of the certain kind of, you know, open violence, do anything you want and kill everybody and just beat up people on the streets kind of gameplay. Um, I think this game is one of the landmarks, landmark titles of video games in general, that it will always be referenced in the future as a game that was the first one to do a certain something and do it very, very well. And it is definitely deserving of shelf space in anybody's library. Um, and, you know, fortunately, it is one of those games that has, been, that has become a significant improvement over 
its previous installment, which is which is GTA 3. And that alone, to me, is enough reason for, to buy it. Um, so, you know, anybody who doesn't have GTA 4 yet and is a fan of this kind of gameplay, buy it. And if you're just, you know, somebody who, you know, doesn't really care much about a sandboxing game, but really do want something new and refreshing to basically spark up your video game life and stuff, definitely pick it up. More than worth it. Uh, it's one of those games that you can play over and over and over again. Pretty much infinite gameplay, infinite replayability. And if you are a car buff, which... Well, not, I'm not a car buff, but, you know, I'm very, very much interested in cars, then, you know, GTA is definitely one of the games for you. So, um, highly recommended title, for sure. Um, probably one of the top fives, um... For me, in terms of purchase potential in 2008, simply because it gives you a hell of a lot for just, you know, uh, for the money you shell out. Definitely um, value for your money more than um, a lot of the games in 2008. I would argue even a lot more value for money than even GT, uh, sorry, MGS4. So I guess that says a lot, um, because MGS4 has been the game of the year for some other um, websites and and blogs, so you know um, that's saying a lot. And you know, maybe I guess I share the same sentiments as game trailers in judging its game of the year. It has to be a game that does a lot of things very very well and gives you a lot of value for your money. So that's why GTA Four is um, a much much a game that is very much deserving of a purchase, and I would highly encourage you guys to buy it, and hopefully I can buy it, I don't know, um, within the month, because Street Fighter 4 is coming out in two weeks, and I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm saving up my money for that game, and maybe GTA 4 can follow shortly after, say, maybe Killzone 2. So, um, a lot of games coming out this first quarter, I'm very, very happy, but, you know, it does take a lot of self-control to stop myself from buying all these games. And right now the priority is Street Fighter 4, but um, rest assured I will be picking up um, GTA 4 eventually. It's still not in stock, that's why I haven't gotten it yet, but that is in my laundry list of games to buy this year, at least the first half of this year. And I'll be having it, I'll be getting that game soon enough. So pick it, pick it up, guys, you won't regret it. So next up we'll go to Game Over. Moving on to our Game Over segment, this week in Game Over, I'll be talking about Prince of Persia. So yeah, like I mentioned earlier, um, it was really a toss-up between GTA 4 and this uh, and Prince of Persia in terms of the game that, you know, Imaginary Friend and Luke and I would have talked about the other week. But, you know, um, basically GTA 4 wasn't available, so I was pretty much stuck with Prince of Persia. And 
you know, I'm pleasantly surprised by the game, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, first impressions, I suppose, uh, are in order. Um, it is a very, very, very beautiful game, first and foremost. And even for the graphics alone, I think the purchase was very much worth it. Because a lot of people thought that the game was cel-shaded. So what th that basically means is it's sort of a cartoon shader. Uh, it looks very cartoony. If you're familiar with the Dragon Ball games and Naruto games, that is what sh cel-shaded means. Um, it basically looks like, um, you know, somebody outlined um, a character that was pretty much made of solid colors. Um, you know, um, think Mickey Mouse and all of that. They, um, what do you call this? Um, art styles that involve... Um, very, very bright, vibrant colors, and pretty solid colors, you know what I mean? Um, not much detail, just pretty much a lot of colors, and if that's outlined by a thick black line, that's usually what's called um, cel-shaded. Um, other games that have done this are Okami and Be Beautiful Joe and everything. But really, in Prince of Persia, while it does sort of look um, cel-shaded, um, it really is pretty much just texture work. Uh, if you look pretty... If you look closely at the game, it really is just cartoony, stylized, but still very, very realistic details of the textures of the characters and the environment, which is very, very refreshing, very, very new. And I think, you know, uh, it gives the game a very unique feel um, that comes from, you know, it visually. Um, I mean, it also adds to the visual appeal of the game that, you know, it scales very, very well. I mean, on my SD TV, I played it first on a 1080p TV, of course, and the TV adjusts to the 720p resolution of the game, and it scales, you know, it looked very, very good in 720p, but so I was sort of worried um, bringing it back home with me, but on the SD TV, it actually looks really, really good, too. The occasional, you know, uh, reading problems with text, uh, but it's definitely not as bad as, you know, um having played MGS4 on it. Still very readable. Um, difficult at times, but definitely a lot more readable and legible than the MGS4 stuff, which was pretty much designed for 1080p um, TVs. But yeah, um, first and foremost, the thing that you will notice about Prince of Persia is the graphics of it, and that alone is, you know, enough reason for you to... Uh, enough reason for me to have bought the game um, being a 3D artist myself, you know, really, really brilliant. Um, I remember having watched the developer diaries of this game, and, you know, the producers and the game designers and everything uh, always talked about their concept artist. Uh, I believe his name is Brian or something, um, who did a lot of um, speed sketches of the Prince of Elica, and I remember he, him doing the Hunter and the Warrior as well. And it's very, very entertaining to watch. And really, the concepts are really translated very, very well into the game. It looks exactly like it, and it feels exactly like it, because, like I mentioned earlier, the textures are pretty much hand-painted, and they look really like watercolors, and it looks just beautiful, really. Um, you know, um, just going back a little bit... Uh, Prince of Persia, when they announced the game, it really was, you know, I met it with a lot of um, skepticism and, um, you know, very critical of the game, especially since, you know, I don't know, I don't really understand, still, even until now, why they called it Prince of Persia. I mean, um, 
it's not a remake of the old Prince of Persia, not at all, nor is it in any way connected to it. But I guess, you know, it's just a trend in any industry these days. They just really want to use the original name of the game and maybe use that as leverage to market the game. But, you know, in terms of this, I don't really understand why, because, um, you know, the last generation Prince of Persia games, meaning Sands of Time, Warrior Within, and Two Thrones, they were met very, very well. I mean, critically and both, I suppose, um, financially and business-wise, right? So I don't really understand why they had to rename it Prince of Persia, or maybe, you know, they just want... Maybe it's a new trend, really, um, now that you don't want to number your games anymore. It really is just Prince of Persia 2008, I suppose, uh, maybe, you know, maybe they are, maybe Ubisoft is, you know, has some logic in doing this. But, you know, um, for me, I don't really understand quite why they did that. But, you know, regardless, um, it's still a pretty good game. Um, you know, I don't own any of the Prince of Persia's as well. So that's another reason why I bought this game. But comparing it to the only Prince of Persia of the previous generation that I played, which is Warrior Within... I really think that, you know, they are very, very different games. There is no similarity, almost, um, in their gameplay and their appeal, um, save for the acrobatics, I suppose. But the acrobatics found in the previous generation Prince of Persia uh, was really more, I guess, how should I put it? Um, was more... I don't know, non-automated than the acrobatics found in this new Prince of Persia. Um, because um, back in, you know, um, Warrior Within, when I was playing it, and it is regarded as the worst of the three, from what I know, um, it was pretty difficult to play. Uh, I played it on the PC, just borrowed it from a friend, and I didn't even finish it. But, you know, um, I know playing it on the PC and as opposed to the console, is a very, very different experience. But, but from what I experienced, you know, the acrobatics of it in combat, as well as the platforming, can be a little bit tedious, can be a little bit unintuitive. Um, but regardless of that, you know, it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of frustration involved in it, of course. There was a lot of dying involved in everything. And But overall, I was very, very much impressed with it. Um, I couldn't really string my combos very well. I don't know if that's just you know, my lack of skill or my lack of, or, you know, the difficulty in controlling the prints on the PC with PC controls, or if it's really just uh, a matter of me not giving the game enough time. But, you know, I couldn't really do all these crazy acrobatics that supposedly you could do in the game. And it really was, you know, the game was appealing, but it wasn't appealing enough for me to finish it. Um, but, you know, that said... Um, I guess Prince of Persia, the new one, is really sort of a departure from all of this. They really wanted to create the same kind of acrobatic feeling without, I guess, the frustration of it. Hence the very, very automated, autopilot-y feel of the new Prince of Persia. Now, while that is pretty much a bad thing, even for me, because, you know, for me, while control is very, very important in a game, and I have mentioned that, countless of times in previous episodes. Um, for me, fixing the control issue isn't about 
you know, um, making everything automated. It's not about that. Um, it really should be about control, um, allowing the player to control um, the, you know, the, the character in the game and making him feel like he's making the character do everything that the character is doing in the game, i.e. Mirror's Edge, I suppose, um, for lack of a better way to, you know, see anything else. Mirror's Edge is a very, very good example of a game that really makes you control the the character very, very well. And you really feel as if everything the character does is because you did, you know, a sequence of button presses very, very well. And, you know, um, that is, to me, what good control is all about. So, an example of not good control is perhaps, say, God of War. Um, While the control in the battle is very, very well done, I mean, I'm talking about really the QTE events, wherein the, you know, the visuals and the acrobatics that Kratos does and everything is very, very good. But, you know, the control is not satisfying because you basically just press a button um, in a given frame of time and he'll do the movement. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not trying to diss God of War at all, but all I'm saying is that, to me, is what sort of the new Prince of Persia feels like. It really is just um, knowing when to press a certain button and the prince will automatically do certain things. So, you know, for the wall, climb and everything, you just have jump to a wall, press X, and he basically goes through the wall. If there's a ring, you press the circle. If there's this, you know, magical thingy, I forgot what you call it, magical plate, you press the triangle, and so on, right? Which, for me, is just an extrapolation of the QTE event, which, you know... Uh, isn't very satisfying, to be quite honest. Um, if, you know, having played Mirror's Edge, which is, I think, the most perfect scheme for anything acrobatic and crazy stuff, um, it really does feel a little lacking. It really does feel a little too autopilot, too um, spoon-feeding for me. Oh, and, you know, even the fact that when you jump um, and the prince doesn't you know, um, hang on the ledge right away, there is, he will always jump again, which is kind of strange, you know, um, why can't it just detect, why can't the game be automated in in such a way that, you know, if there is no ledge, then the prince will just jump down, pretty much, or, you know, he'll just slide down, basically, but, you know, every time you jump, and the prince doesn't grab onto something, he will always do another jump on the wall, as if, you know, there is a ledge on top. So, you know, um, that is a little bit of a problem to me. Even the combat is very much automated. It really is just a combination of button presses that, you know, when the enemy is very, very near you, that's when you press your certain button, then when he counters your attack, then you counter him back, and, you know, the game even shows you a QTE event for that, that, you know, it everything slows down, it'll ask you to press the R2 button, well, on the PS3 at least. And, you know, it's very, very automated and everything. Um, but, that said, in as much as I don't think the mechanics, the control mechanics, aren't very good, um, it is a lot of fun, actually, and it seemed very, very necessary to get the visual style of you know, of the game out. And I think that is really where 
the game really shines anyway. It really is how beautiful the game is more than anything. Um, and I guess having automated ways of doing the combat and the platforming is a way to complement that visual style of the game. And I will give you, you know, certain um, arguments about that, um, especially very sort of controversial to me, um, the non-dying mechanic of the game. It was sort of, you know, it's spoon-feeding once again, because you can't die in the game, honestly. You can't be killed in combat because Elika rescues you. You can't fall on the cliff because Elika rescues you. And while, for me, that is a very, very negative thing coming out of, you know... Other games like Mirror's Edge and everything. I mean, right off the bat, for me, not dying in a game is sort of weird. While a very, very, you know, welcome mechanic, it seemed to, to I don't know, um, it spoils a gamer too much. Um, you know, uh, other games have tried to do this, such as Prey, and, you know, it didn't quite work well. But in this game, you know, after having played it, while I, I did detest the fact that, you know, you're just making the game too easy by not allowing the player to die, it seemed like a very, very good design choice in the sense that you die a lot in this game. I mean, as automated as everything is, there is a certain lack of precision in the jumping and the platforming of the prince for some reason. And, you know, I found myself dying and falling a lot of times um, you know, sometimes the camera doesn't, uh, really do you justice in certain jumps, and so you fall and everything, um, or say you want to try this certain jump, you thought a double jump would help, but you end up falling anyway, so there is a lot of dying in this game, and in a way, that's a good thing, it's a good thing that they added this whole non-dying mechanic, because you, you die so often, but then again, playing Devil's Advocate, maybe that non-dying mechanic is really just a way for them to mask the frustration you'll get of dying so much. So, you know, um, it really is a give-or-take kind of thing. Um, you could blame it on really bad game design. It almost feels as if the game was designed to be really this good platformer, right? Um, but they found out that they couldn't fix the control scheme enough for you, for them to prevent you from dying so often, so that's why they added the whole non die mechanic. You know, it seemed, it seems to me, I mean, it doesn't feel tacked on at all. But from somebody who um, is in the video game industry and does do some game design on the side, I feel as if I feel that this non die mechanic was tacked on at the very end just to you know alleviate a lot of the frustration. That would that would that a gamer would experience from dying so much in this game. But that said, them having the foresight to add that non-dying mechanic really does make the game actually very very fun to play. Um, I find myself playing it um, thirty minutes a day, small installments. The games are very very short enough, are quite short enough to merit you know a playthrough every day, and you'll eventually get to finish the game. And, you know, um, in a way, you could call that bad design, but also, at the very end of it, you know, you can't deny the fact that the game is pretty fun. I mean, it's not broken. It's not a game that I would call broken. And it's just a game that's fun to play. And, you know, that is a testament to the game design as well. 
Um, so you know, um, kind of weird. You're sort of on. I'm sort of on the fence in this game on whether or not it's a very very good game. Definitely not a game that stands out. Um, definitely not a game that you would have on your top five, which I didn't have in my top five as well for this year. But you know, definitely a game that is worth it for anybody looking for a fun experience, uh, a fun and different experience. Maybe if you want something a little bit more more automated than then Mirror's Edge, something that has better combat than Mirror's Edge, or what, then this is the game for you. Or if you want just a very stylistic game, this is very, very good too. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I mean, the animation of this game is also very, very well done. I don't think I've ever seen anything, any game that does running as well as this game does. I mean, when you're running in the overworld and everything, looking at the prints from the back, it looks very, very good. It looks very natural, and that is sort of ironic or kind of weird coming from a game that is very stylized and supposedly not realistic. But, you know, the way he swings his arms as he runs, the way his feet move and his body just subtly, you know, um, shifts its weight. Very, very well done, quite honestly. And that, again, um, is a compliment to uh, the best thing about the game, which is its graphics and presentation. Um... So, you know, um, for anybody out there who's interested in Prince of Persia or is a fan of Prince of Persia or doesn't own any Prince of Persia game, then I think this is a cop. This is a very, very good game to have. Um, definitely not uh, innovative game enough. It didn't evolve anything or it didn't change anything. It didn't really contribute much to... I guess, you know, the whole collective intelligence of what video game design or what video games should be. But, you know, very a lot of very interesting takes on certain things such as the non-dying mechanic, the platforming mechanics, and even the combat mechanic of it. So, you know, um, definitely enough new things there. Nothing groundbreaking or anything, but definitely um, a title worth a look at. Um, so there, um, that's pretty much pr my impressions on Prince of Persia, and we'll be moving on to our sandbox segment now, so I'll see you guys then. Now, as the storm of destruction threatens to overwhelm all in its path, a thousand years of darkness awaits you. The kingdom's final hope lies within a mysterious warrior. As the forces of dark and light collide, a young hero will discover that his path to destiny requires an unexpected ally. Elica. So in Sandbox this week, we'll be talking about my impressions on online gaming. You know, um... For somebody as old as I am, uh, or somebody who really grew up with video games, there really was this certain time in probably the 80s and the 90s that a lot of people really just went to people's places, went to their friends' places, and played games together. Um, well, it was limited to just two controllers at the very start, from the Famicom and the NES, to the Super NES and the Genesis. You know, um, multiplayer experiences were pretty much... Um, limited to just two players. And it was a hell of a lot of fun, really. And I guess what's happened of late is that, you know, they extended that um, multiplayer experience to include online features, right? 
And that, while that is very well and good, and I do know that it, that is a natural progression in the game, uh, in the gaming industry, in terms of multiplayer experiences, um, and, you know, that it, what do you call this, it is a lot more convenient than having to go to somebody's place to play a game. I, personally, am a much, much bigger fan of really playing games together with people in the same room. Really, nothing beats uh, the feeling of having, you know, visual, uh, auditory, and, you know, even physical contact with the people you play against or play with, really. Um, Nothing can replace that ever, even if you have your headsets and the mic set up and everything. Having that person, seeing that person react, and hearing that person react, um, and even feeling that person react, punching you or whatever, which I got a lot during my Street Fighter 2 uh, playing days, is so, adds so much more to that experience. And, you know, the lack of lag in how they react. And just, you know, just seeing everybody playing the game together and enjoying, uh, the, enjoying the game, smiling, snickering and everything, just adds so much to the experience. Well, I am not trying to diss online gaming. I think it is a very, very vital, um, vital component to games these days, and I wouldn't, you know, want them to um, take it out of the game at all, ever. But you know, you know, basically, it's that convenience of being able to play a game with anybody at any time, anytime, anywhere you want. Like right now, if I want to play against somebody. Um, against somebody in Mario Kart, I can, and all of that, if I want to play, I guess if I had Soul Calibur 4 or something, or Street Fighter 4, and want to play against somebody on online, I could, but really, you know, just playing together with somebody who's right there is such a different experience, um, what do you call this, I remember back in the day when I was like grade 6, so that would make me 12 years old, I would go to a friend's house and we'd play Mario Kart the whole day, we'd play Dragon Ball, um, Japanese version all day on a Super NES, and we'd even swap controllers while playing Earthworm Jim and X-Men on the Genesis before, and that, that was just really a hell of a lot of fun, and, you know, lately, I've been able to experience that same feeling with uh, my office mates while we play Call of Duty 4 or Dota, you know, there's a lot of trash talking, and, you know, everybody just saying a lot of mean things, and a lot of encouraging things as well at times, and it's just a hell of a lot of fun, really. You know, seeing people getting really frustrated or seeing other people just trash-talking and just really having a lot of fun. And, you know, nothing beats that feeling, really, of being there physically with the people you play with. And, you know, hopefully one day... And, you know, for me, really, nothing can uh, replace that experience. And hopefully, online gaming, while it still will be there, hopefully you know, the gen- the next generation of gamers, I mean, you know, the people who are just toddlers now, or just, you know, non-teenagers, or even teenagers, quite honestly, they will appreciate, you know, they will not stop to appreciate playing games with people physically there with them. And hopefully, you know, they do have the same sentiments as we do, or, you know, the older generations have, of having, of being able to play with these, with, with people actually being there. Um... It's kind of like, you know, um, in the Philippines at least, I've been talking to a lot of people and saying that, you know, 
I mean, people with kids, right? Your kids know how to play outdoors. They know you know how to play tag. They know how to play hopscotch for the girls. They know how to play hide and seek and all of that. And it seemed that you know everybody's just so fixated with the internet these days that these kids, instead of playing outside, um, playing the games we played as kids and running around getting bruised and beaten up and having wounds everywhere, they're all just you know going on Facebook, uploading videos on YouTube and everything, which is kind of sad. And sort of in a way, and as much as I like the option of going online for gaming, I really, really hope that it doesn't turn into that kind of thing. You know, um, if it is a trend in children these days that they just basically go online for everything, um, hopefully that doesn't happen to video games. And I really dread that day that it will be like that because, you know... Really, nothing beats that feeling of playing cooperatively with people and shouting, you know. It's just a lot of fun, even if it isn't um, a two-player game or a multiplayer game. Just having somebody watch you play a game and just trading controllers is really what, for me, made video games a lot of fun before. Um, if I told you, you know, I am a single-player gamer um, nowadays, but... I remember part of the fun of Street Fighter 2 really was being able to play against my brother and being able to play against other people. And it also helped, of course, that I was a very, very good Street Fighter 2 player. Um, but, you know, um, that's what really got me into gaming. That's what really sucked me into gaming and made me really love video games as much as I do now. Um, it really wasn't about, you know, me being able to play by myself, but... It really is this communal thing. Um, in a way, video games isn't still... It has mass appeal now, definitely. But back in the day, when it wasn't you know, widely, as widely accepted yet, um, you know, part of the appeal of video games really was this community of gamers. That even if you are far away from other gamers in the world, knowing that other people are as hardcore as you or are as dedicated to video games as you are really is part of that appeal. Um, and, you know, it's a really, really good thing for me that there are games now that do encourage you to play together with other people, such as Guitar Hero, World Tour, and Rock Band. Um, and I guess that's why I'm talking about it now, because I still am really, really craving for a copy of Rock Band. I saw it, actually, um, yesterday while going to my local video game store. It was being sold, but, you know, I told myself that Street Fighter 4 is coming out soon, Killzone 2 is coming out soon, and I am uh, I am planning to, you know, maybe buy a new computer monitor and everything. But, you know, I just couldn't afford something that cost me 14500 bucks, which is roughly $300, you know. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And as much as that game is worth it, definitely, definitely worth it for me, um, I just don't think that right now is the correct time for me to actually buy that game. But, you know, um, I do applaud Harmonix and Activision and everything for, you know, coming out with games that really encourage people to play together. And, of course, how could I forget, the Wii also is one of those consoles that encourages people to, you know, go back to, um, to the basics of video games and, you know, pretty much go back to the Famicom model that really had two controllers. It really was about family. It really was about playing with other people and enjoying games with other people. And if you remember correctly, the Famicomputer, at least the Japanese version, right? Not the NES. 
had two controllers in it attached to the system, not like the, you know, disconnectable controllers of the NES. The controllers are actually attached to the Famicom. So, you know, um, that really is, to me, the real gaming experience. Um, you know, these days, I guess, games have become very, very theatrical. They're becoming more and more cinematic that it becomes a very single, a very much single experience. While that is a very, very good thing, especially for me who enjoys that kind of single-player experience, I think really the heart and the, the core of video games and what really appeals to people is the fact that you play video games with other people and that you enjoy games with other people. And, you know, um, it is a dream of mine maybe sort of to, you know, um, promote that. Um, that sense of community and hopefully you know that's the only way you can really make people who don't play video games understand why video games are so much fun you can't ask them to play video games by themselves but you play video games with them and show them just how fun it really is and how much you enjoy it I mean pointing out how complicated a video game really is and you know just making them appreciate games a lot more is, is really the goal. And that is the point of this whole podcast, that, you know, while I might be boring a lot of people by going into the deeper senses of video games and everything, that, you know, maybe I'm taking games too seriously. I mean, you know, a lot of people take movies and books seriously, too, so why can't I take video games seriously as well? Maybe because video games are supposed to be fun, and they are entertainment, and they are primarily an entertainment medium. But, you know, there is a serious side to video games, and that is what I want other people to to really appreciate about video games more. Um, and, you know, while it is a lot of fun, and that is the main draw of it, um, you know, I just want people to appreciate games a lot more, because it does take a lot of effort to make these games. And, to be honest, it is the single most affordable entertainment medium out there. Um, and hopefully, you know, uh, next week or something, we can play a little rock band or whatever, and we can talk about that a little bit more, maybe have some guests over and talk about games. Um, so, you know, um, what else is there much to say other than maybe this is a, pl- <laughs> um, a sort of, uh, what do you call this, a sort of call for help or call for pity from me that, you know, hopefully I can play some games with you guys. I don't know. Um, uh, I really do want to, you know, broaden my, what do you call this, my 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 base of friends that who I, I can play video games with because, you know, lately that multiplayer experience really has met, ha- has been enhanced for me, having played a lot of Dota, having played a lot of Call of Duty lately, and I really do appreciate that a lot more. So hopefully, I don't know, who knows, I can play games with you guys, anybody of the listeners, and hopefully we can play a lot of games together, and we are, you know, imaginary friend Luke and I are sort of planning some sort of thing like that, a garage kind of thing, where we just invite a lot of people to play a lot of video games and just have a lot of fun. So hopefully you guys will be there as well, and if you guys like the idea, I mean, post on the blog or email me at dukang.gamer at gmail.com. I really do appreciate everything. So I guess that does it for this week. And hopefully you guys enjoyed this week, and I'll see you next week, most definitely. I don't know what I'm, I'll be talking about just yet, but stay tuned for that. And thank you for listening, you guys. See you then.